even when I think about my career, I've like sort of done everything. It all sort of feels like the job or the titles are like this undercover title to just being human. Welcome to A Success of Our Own. A Success of Our Own is an invitation for us to courageously define our own version of success beyond the mainstream metrics we've been told we should want so that we can create a sustainable and joyful success that we can finally relax into. I'm your host, Natalie Ruskin. I'm a journalist with an inquiring mind, a meditation teacher seeking the divine, and a community gatherer helping others live life more inspired. This podcast offers you the opportunity to learn and grow through inspiring personal stories of transformation, ideas, and practices. As you listen to this podcast, breathe it in and let it slow you down even a bit. Trust that simply listening in this less effortful way, you'll experience a shift. You'll find that puzzle piece you've been seeking. Join me in this moment, and let's take a risk together at living a success of our own. Whenever I'm in the presence of Nikki Lee McKean, I feel a sparkly, delicious, and calming sensation all at once. I just want to drink her up with bottomless refills. The only way I can describe this in mortal terms is magic. And so it's no surprise that this photographer, restaurateur, coach, cancer thriver, and mom refers to herself on her website as Nikki Magic. A lot of people say to me, like, okay, like, seriously, like, you named yourself Nikki Magic. Like, what's with that? Honestly, I didn't really think twice about it. Yeah. And that magic that she embodies, it's all about radical freedom. So what does that version of success, radical freedom, look like for Nikki? Well, she spends winters in Nosara, Costa Rica, with her family because she'd prefer to be there over the dark and dreary Toronto cold. Yes, uh, we'd all prefer that, right? But Nikki actually makes it happen. She's a two-time cancer thriver. She had a double mastectomy, and after deciding to forego reconstructive surgery, she agreed to have herself photographed half-naked as part of a massive nationwide Nixwear campaign to inspire women to live unapologetically free. I remember seeing pictures of her on the TTC bus in Toronto passing by. And Nikki and her rock star restaurateur husband, Victor Berry, just sold their Toronto home to move to the country so that she can lead retreats and bring the Pura Vida, simple living of Costa Rica, to the Ontario countryside. Of course she did this because that's what she'd prefer to do. And Nikki lives with radical freedom to do what she prefers. I have a lot of people that are close to me that are like, wait, what? You're selling your house? When you say yes to certain things that aren't mainstream or the way that it normally is done, I've just always sort of kept it to myself and then left it for other people to catch up on. As a self-described creative, 
Nikki really creates her own version of success with a what the fuck kind of limitlessness while still taking responsibility for her life, her family, her health, and her finances. I'm a creative. I like to ground into the idea of being in vision, so a visionary in the sense of like how I understand creativity in the world and how I present that. So selfishly, what I really want to hear about from Nikki is how she brings this energy of radical freedom to her finances, because she talks about wanting to have a lot of money and what she's going to do with it. So I really want to get into her head and understand what her mindset is around that piece. Nikki, hi. Hi. (laughs) Is there anything you would like to do before we start the conversation to set the space for yourself, like a practice you do, or did you already do it in the green room? I did do it in the green room. Can you share it with me? Yeah. So one of the things that I do when I'm in new spaces is I'm a visual person, so I like to really look around and check it out. And then so like the excitable part of me is like, ooh, the cushions, and then with the orange room, but why is it red on the walls? And there's this sense of like grounding into just being in any space, just Mm. being in a space where someone created this, Mm. you know, someone had some sort of vision, some sort of whole body yes to a project or an idea. So usually I just take a breath and breathe in and just storytell in a way that brings me into the space and how I see it now. And if there's pictures, because I love photographs, I always love to check them out and look at them and get a sense of what was happening for those people in that space as well. So excitement can show up in many different ways in the body, nervousness, Mm -hmm. just to like get a grounding. So that's what I generally do when I come into any space even before I walk in the front door is just to have a knowing of where I've been and then integration and transition into where I am now. And then I was thinking about you being in the space already. And so just grounding into that and checking in, it only takes 30 seconds, really. I feel so excited to be with you because you're someone who over the years has always inspired me in terms of being a few steps ahead in terms of what I wrote to you this morning, radical surrender for radical creativity. You do things that I'm just like, how how did she (laughs) think of that? Like even your website I was looking at yesterday and I'm like, this is not even a website. This is an exhibition of art. And that comes, I sense through this radical surrender that I witness in your presence and in what I know to be your story. Could we start at the beginning? Could you tell me who you are, what you do, how you got here in your own words, Nikki? Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm so honored to be here, excited to be here. And also like serendipitously just feels so juicy and so right Mm. and all the things. Gosh, who am I? (laughs) I'm a creative. I like to really ground into the idea of being in vision. So a visionary in the sense of how 
I understand creativity in the world and how I present that. And so mm. even when I think about my career through my life and how I've expressed that, it's I've like sort of done everything, you know, from sales to working on a cruise ship to then photography, then coaching and restaurateur and yoga and meditation and mindfulness. It all sort of feels like the job or the titles are like this undercover title to just being human mm. in any way. How can I show up in an authentic way, whether it's through my photography or whether it's through an expression through design, all feels like I'm a photographer undercover, mm. just being a, trying to be a good human. Mm. <laughs> That's what it feels like. That's yeah. such a great way of thinking about it. Sometimes I say in my morning prayer, I say to my higher power, help me suit up and show up. You're my employer. Help me be of maximum service and just show me what my job is for today. I just got a whole lot of goosebumps. Exactly. So sometimes I show up to like a big like commercial photography gig, like big. Like sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I'm the person for the job. Even I did a huge shoot for Copper Tone and it, that showed up there too. And then I realized mm. like when I asked everyone to like really take a break for lunch and they were like, no, we don't take breaks. And I was like, no, I'm going to do yoga nidra. Like, I don't know what you're doing for the hour. And then on day three, like figured out that half the crew that had been working together for like 20 years all did meditation, but they'd never talked about it. Wow. So even in that, I feel like I was a photographer undercover, undercovering mm. people's connectivity. Like it was some sort of like dirty secret to meditate in the morning or something. I want to get to the surrender piece before that, though, when I asked you, who are you? What do you do? How did you get there? Like, was there any kind of worry or anxiety about what you were saying and how it would be perceived? No. Okay. That's amazing. Because I think I projected in me... I remember this interview for CBC when I was at CBC for a post to be a producer in CBC London, England, and they were like, <laughs> how did you prepare for this interview? That was the first question. And I actually had an anxiety. I felt ill. I felt the blood mm. kind of drain from mm -hmm. me. And Jack Nagler, he was the head of a certain radio program at the time. He was coaching me to breathe at the very beginning mm -hmm. of this interview because of that fear of not measuring up to some kind of idea of who I should be. And I wonder if that shows up for you at all. And is that part of your journey of surrender? Did you have to release some of those vestiges? There have been moments mm. in my career and in my life, even isn't there someone else that could do the job better? working at a, like a summer job, operating a Ferris wheel, like surely I shouldn't be doing this. But then, <laughs> you know, like no one really taught me how to operate the Ferris wheel. But You're I like, think about these things where I've been put in very precarious situations where I'm like, I probably shouldn't be doing this. But from an external observation, you and your husband, Victor, own an extremely successful I don't know how you refer to it. Piano, piano. Yeah, restaurant group. Restaurant group, like best effing pizza in the mm. city, amongst other things. It seems that whatever you and Victor touch turns to gold. And yet 
the inner talk for you is what am I doing here? Like when we were talking yesterday about this, you spoke about how you guys have this all in approach. (laughs) I want to get inside your brain and understand like, what is it to be in this all in approach? Because the things you've done and that you're doing in your life, like you spend at least one season, if not two, in Costa Rica, in Mm -hmm. the beautiful jungle and ocean. And you guys recently made the decision to leave the city and move out to the country. So many of us look at that from a distance and think, how does she do that? Like, how do you do that? I think if you were to go back and even ask my mom, like, I've always been like this always sort of been like ferociously, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to go for it. I look back sometimes and I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, I literally have, you know, gone on a plane, like been in love with like $5 in my pocket, just being like, I guess I'll just sort it out. I remember my mom being like, do not call me. I don't have any money for you. Like, you're crazy, you know? So I think it inherently has always been in me. And then meeting Vic was like, I had not ever met another person who (laughs) was also so authentically whole body yes into Mm. things. Also daunting because there's an obsession part with that, Mm -hmm. right? So when you say yes to certain things that aren't mainstream or the way that it normally is done, the yesness to that and like living in that space for me and my experience, especially with Vic, is the willingness to be in the discomfort of the difficult conversations, the sensation and body, the pushback, because you really have to be so careful with who you share your dreams with, like who you share your yeses with. Mm. Like I remember that with cancer diagnosis number one. And then when breast cancer came around, it became even more specific with the choices I was making, the care I was yearning for, really like curating, like who's in your ring. Mm-hmm. And they, the people who are in your ring, as in like, who do you trust and who are you going to talk to about it, aren't even necessarily like your really good friends. When I think about like, should I sell my house or should we build a restaurant in the middle of the pandemic? <laughs> yeah. Of which you did at least one. Yes. Yeah. When every, all of the people who we had borrowed money from told us like, well, no, you're crazy. And and the, and the things that came up were like, no one's ever going to sit in a restaurant again. What I said to Vic was, if no one ever sits in a restaurant again, we have bigger problems. Yeah. Like us building this restaurant will be nothing compared to those problems, Mm. as far as I'm concerned. Even us saying yes to something like that was like, we kept it tight. We kept it very tight with who we were sharing it with. Mm -hmm. It was the plan and it was risky, but it really felt like we wanted to focus on something. We wanted to focus Mm -hmm. on our creativity. We wanted to focus on faith that people would. Indeed. And they are. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness. So the story goes. And so that in the yesness of what seem to be sometimes not irresponsible decisions, but it can be like, whoa, you're just going to do that. And to me, I feel like to not live in the yes of it, there's more suffering in that to me. Anyways, it feels like I'm like a bird in a cage. I feel like you're this specimen that a bunch of scientists need to come (laughs) around and take fMRIs of your brain because I'm trying to, from my like 
urban Toronto Jewish academic upbringing with like boundaries and parameters of what's okay and what's not okay. Yeah. I'm trying to understand what it's like because you grew up in more rural Mm -hmm. Ontario with this sense of freedom in a way. Mm -hmm. And I want to get into your head because what you have the capacity to do, Nikki, is to access that right brain creative part of yourself without all those barriers that keep coming up and saying, is this safe? What will people think? Is this okay? And there's gold in that, that I certainly can learn from. Mm -hmm. Did you struggle? Do you struggle with mainstream pressures of success, like striving status, what your income is, the financial, am I doing enough financially for my family? No. So, I mean, it's sort of, it's strange because, I mean, this is actually something that Victor and I, it's not that we don't disagree on it. I think in a way what my parents gifted me. Mm. So I, I'm the youngest of three of two older brothers. And I remember I was very studious, but I had to work really hard at it, like really hard at it. Why? The concentration didn't come. Yeah. I was just always like, surely there has to be like a pony or a bunny yes. or a backyard What's to play that? with. What's that? What's yeah, that? Like, What's that? Totally. Like, and yeah. I think about that even like my meditation practice now, like in learning, studying and how to notice when we wander off, mm-hmm. right? And I remember always thinking specifically in high school that everyone was way more studious than me. Like, I, well, two things. I felt that way and they were. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, it's like, okay, let's just be honest for a second. Like I had 87 on my OEC biology until I went into my exam. Right. At the time, the exam was worth 40% of your mark. This was my reasoning. We were going to Ottawa for the weekend before the exam. Well, I have two options. I can stay home all weekend and study, or I can go to Ottawa and have a school's out for summer weekend. So to me, I was like, well, the option seems very clear, right? And my friends were like, no, you should mm. you should stay home mm. and study. I remember going into the exam being like, well, surely. Like if I have an 87 now, like I probably have, will remember something. My parents weren't asking me like, did you study for the exam? That's yeah. the other element. Yeah. There was no element or expectation. No there wasn't. If anything, I kind of was looking mm. for some sort of like, hey, look at me. Mm-hmm. But my mother was always like, if you want to do great things in your life, you'll you'll do great things. Wow. Like it's your choice. If you choose to go to Ottawa for the weekend and party, then you choose that and live your best life. But just know that there's a personal responsibility mm-hmm. piece to that. Like you're choosing that adventure. Wow. That's like letting go as a parent to let your child take that right risk. And then even university, like I lived in Sweden on exchange for a year and I came back and I got into Western University on a scholarship. Oh, I didn't even what? go. I didn't even go. The week before school started, I was like, you know, I don't think I want to do this. And I remember my mom being like, well, what are you going to do with that university degree? Yeah. Like, if anything, I felt like, aren't you proud? And she's extremely proud of me. But she was just like, but is it what you want to do right now? And I was like, no, actually, I don't. She was like, okay. One of the things that was always so frustrating, I think, was I was often looking for guidance, someone to help me 
come to the conclusion of this is what you should do. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, that's not my role. Mm. My dad was the same. They were just always very clear, which I think was in the end, the biggest gift because it was challenging at some Mm. point, but it gifted me with like, it's your life. You choose, but know that like, it's your choice. It's not on me. It's completely on you. How do you define success for yourself today? What are the metrics that you turn to? And I know I'm using mainstream language for this, but I'm using it with that understanding that it could be anything, just so we have a shared vernacular. The word that comes up for me is enlightenment. But strangely, in a world of yoga, let's say, we don't measure success. I remember sitting in a, a meditation retreat and them saying like the nothingness, like the the bigger part of us is so big. There's not even actually a word for it. Mm-hmm. Like we've tried to make a word for it, but there is actually no word. So even when I think about success, I feel like it's sort of similar. Like we're all striving for this thing that is so measured so differently by everyone that it's so hard and complicated to understand Success to me is when I wake up in the morning, do I make it a priority to have my morning practice, Mm -hmm. to take the 30 seconds to do the breath work, to write down that thing, to let someone in front of me at the grocery store line, Mm -hmm. to think about what I need to fuel myself to walk out into the world and then hopefully create something or be in relationship with someone or to love deeper or, and so on and so on. And then if you were to go into like the more of the bigger metric of like Vic and I, when we talk Mm. about like success, the joke in our family is his thing to me is, all right, babe, how much money do we need so you can give it all away? Whoa. What's the exit plan? Like when we talk about business and success, to me, it's always like, why not me? Why not me have money, more of it so that I can then circle it back into the community? So I can, so same with you, like, why not you be successful and be abundantly financially secure? You're an amazing human being that also will do amazing things energetically with that money. I've seen other people who I admire, like, coaches, colleagues who are really motivated by the money, accumulating the money and what the money can buy for them, like Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. first class ticket on a flight. And I don't have that motivation. I want the money to have freedom in my relationship. For me, where I struggle is there's this almost reflex response to overachieving and the exhaustion and the toxicity of all those things that used to define my version of success. Mm -hmm. When I think about bringing in more money with that intention of wanting to contribute socially beyond Mm -hmm. my family per se, there's this rejection and judgment of it. And yet at the same time, I still want my own funds to buy a coffee without feeling guilty to be able to, you know, take my kids to see a concert and not be second guessing, can we afford this? Mm -hmm. The reality is, is that both of us, as we sit here, have the privilege 
of having the opportunity to make that money. And there are many that do not. And so my take on it is that if I'm in this human experience and in this life, and I do have the opportunity to make money in the sense of like the expression of like cash, then there's a part of me that feels like you better go out there and make it so that you can do good with the world. Not as in like work hard, but as in you'll know where it's meant to be. The joke is like, if you win the Lotto Max, mm. this is what happens always in Lotto Max. I've done a lot of research in like Lotto Max winners because <laughs> it's very interesting. You, I, I everything <laughs> you are saying is like blowing my mind. Well, so people who win the Lotto Max, okay, who've never dreamed, mm-hmm. don't believe that they're worthy of the money. They lose it. They lose it. Mm-hmm. Because they've never thought about what they'll do with no. it. Whereas, like, if I won seventy million tomorrow, I would know exactly where it was going, and it wouldn't be to necessarily have the castle on the thing. It literally would be to like certain people, to fund things, to entrepreneurs, to charities, to mm-hmm. programs, to research. And if I don't know where it's going to go, I feel like I've done enough networking Mm -hmm. in my life, specifically in the last five years, that I would know people. I would be like, hey, Natalie, I got an extra five mil sitting around. Can you think of anywhere this could go? And I guarantee you that you would know. And if you didn't know, you would find the right place for it to go. Whereas I think that there is a lot of people that do have physical money that maybe aren't doing Mm. nice things with the world. For you all who want to get a taste, a slice of what Nikki's talking about, like this magic, as you call yourself, Nikki magic, what is your guidance, Nikki, for how we can start to integrate this mindset of abundance? For me, I have this daily future self-gratitude practice, Mm -hmm. which I can share about afterwards for you all. Clearly, this is something you spend time iterating and immersing yourself in. What does that actually look like? I think it starts in small direct experiences. Like the best example I can give is like when I decided that I wanted to buy organic berries over regular berries. It comes from like a very like privileged place. Like, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy all my special berries, right? Mm -hmm. We could look at it that way. But we could also look at it like the difference of like when you go out and you buy a glass of wine, do you like which glass of wine do you choose? Do you choose the glass of wine that you want to drink or do you choose it based on price? Mm. And so do you go into a store and try something on first or do you look at the tag first Mm -hmm. before you try it on? Also, like what's wrong with just trying on something nice? Like you don't have to buy it. I did that two weeks ago at Smythe. I tried on the blazer and then I left. But at least I went and tried it on and it looked amazing, by the way. And did you feel amazing in it? Yes. Okay. So that, so that is the practice to me, is the remembrance of that direct experience. It's not really about the jacket. It's about how do I feel emotionally, physically, and spiritually when I'm in this jacket? Mm. The jacket is just the thing that's helping you tap into the part of Mm -hmm. you that's worthy enough to see 
the unveiling of your magic. So a lot of people mm. say to me, like, okay, like seriously, like mm-hmm, you name mm-hmm. yourself Nikki Magic. Mm-hmm. Like, what's with that? Honestly, I didn't really think twice about yeah. it. Yeah. I yeah. it was a friend who gifted me with a necklace once. And I was like, that's really sweet. And that was re- it was really special to me. But really, magic for me is like, it's your true nature. Mm-hmm. Now I couldn't be like Nikki true nature. No one really understand that. In the sense of like, it's not just something I have. It's something we all have, Mm -hmm. the place within us that is the feeling, the sensation of what it feels like to be in that store, to be in the abundance of even that experience. Now, some people will walk out of that store and then martyr all the way home about how they would never buy that jacket. Mm -hmm. But then they've lost the point because that momentary time out, that momentary sensation of full body goodness, yumminess, like the first bite of a sprinkled donut, you remember that. Like when someone says like, let's go for ice cream, like it's like very few that people are like, no, let's not do that. I'm that person. What do you mean you're that person? No ice cream? No ice cream. That's for another episode. (laughs) I love it. But the inner, like the inner critic in me, I don't know if you've ever read My Stroke of Insight by Jill Bolte-Taylor. She's really smart with a number of degrees and she had a stroke and Mm -hmm. wrote this story about witnessing the different hemispheres of her brain during that stroke. And she's got a TED talk about it. She had this first row seat to the operations of the right brain, which is where creativity, imagination, empathy, connection resides, which you also seem to have this magnetic capacity to connect with that part of yourself. And you can access the left brain, which is more logical, Mm decision-making, analytical part, but it doesn't hijack the right brain. And when you describe this practice of connecting with the sensation, the feeling, the emotion of that abundance, whether it's something that sounds so profane as trying on a very expensive blazer in a shishi neighborhood of Toronto, or like putting our feet in the cold waters of a clear creek Mm -hmm. and just letting ourselves absorb that experience. We're, to the extent that we allow ourselves to truly drop in, we're building more neurocircuitry in that right brain place, which you, Nikki, seem to have factory installed and you Mm -hmm. never messed with it that much. My response to that is that it was messed with. If we were to go back into like my childhood, there were many circumstances where I was not safe. And so I think at a young age, I learned to use my creative imagination to escape from mm. circumstances. Like one of the first Love things that people that. say to me are like, I'm not creative. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, well, that's just like, I'm not good at chopping an onion, but that's because I don't chop onions. I don't like to, I don't do it. But if I did it every day for 30 days in a row, I bet you I would be much better at it. And then on top of that, if I had someone skillfully teach me how to do it, I'd be really good at it. But what's my desire to do it? Is it there? So we tend to be like, oh, that's for them and not for me. Mm-hmm. And But the difference is, is the desire. What do you desire? Because maybe you don't desire to have a first-class ticket, mm-hmm. and that's fine. But if you desire something or someone or a circumstance or a feeling or a state of mind, 
then that's worth investigating. And so I think what's interesting is we can't control anything other than the mind. So even in circumstances at a young age where safety was not present, imagination was. So it's like that classic fear is a poor use of the imagination. On the topic of imagination, Mm -hmm. as we close this conversation that feels in some ways that we're only just getting started, Nikki, what is something right now in your life that is inspiring you most? (sighs) I mean, honestly, it could be the woman in the grocery store with a three-year-old having a tantrum that seems and appears to be frustrated and takes a deep breath and moves down to the ground and offers to sit in her discomfort and tells her that she loves her and that she's willing to sit with her in her frustration. That's the kind of inspiration I'm looking for. I'm looking for like authentically raw moments. And so if you're on that list, then that there's a long list of them and there's a lot of them out there. But essentially to be in the realness of like life's moments, incredible. How can people learn more about the incredibleness that is you? How can we find you? Oh, thank you. Uh, Well, you can find me on my website, which is NikkiMagic.com. And that's two Ks with an I. Yes. And I'm on Instagram and that's Nikki Lee McKean. Uh, You can find me at the restaurant sometimes, which is Piano Piano. So if you're looking for a good eat, some champagne, maybe there too. I'm all over. So joyful to be with you, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm here to support you beyond what you hear in these conversations. So check out my website. I've got some practical guides and worksheets. Yes, I said worksheets (laughs) to help you create the changes you want in your life. You can find all of that at natalieruskin.com. That's N-A-T-A-L-I-E-R-U-S-K-I-N.com. On the topic of success, I want this podcast to be successful. And I've realized that one of my metrics for success is being able to share this message with those who may need it most. So if you feel inspired by what you've heard here, like it or Let's say a friend or colleague comes to mind, share it with them. And finally, I'm a work in progress here, people, and I would love to hear from you what topics, what themes around success would you like to hear more on? Send me an email. I'm at natalie at natalieruskin.com.